greatest shock was a telephone call on a weekend. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning when a couple of us or a few of us were down Regan and George Schultz and our wives were down at Augusta Country Club. I'd never been there before. We'd gone down for a, at George Schultz's invitation for a weekend of golf. And it was the word about the bombing of the Marines in Lebanon. And that, uh, there's no way to describe the horror and the grief to, as the word came in about that. What horror event was President Ronald Reagan describing when he was interviewed in the Oval Office by Reader's Digest in 1985? It was the bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut two years earlier. Early on a Sunday morning, October 23, 1983, two truck bombs struck buildings in Beirut, buildings which housed American and French service members of a peacekeeping operation during the Lebanese Civil War. The attack killed 307 people, 241 U.S. military personnel, and 58 French military personnel, plus six civilians, and the two suicide attackers. Islamic Jihad claimed responsibility. Experts blamed Hezbollah and ultimately Iran. In this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly, we mark 40 years since the Beirut bombing by hearing from presidents. As you'll hear in this podcast, every president since Ronald Reagan has remarked about that terror attack 40 years ago. First, let's set the scene. Why were U.S. Marines even in Beirut? A year before the bombing, on September 23, 1982, President Reagan's spokesman, Larry Speaks, was asked that by a high school student. Um, my name is Katie Farrell, and I'm from Washington High School in Arlington, Virginia. And um, there has been some concern that the sending of Marines back into Beirut will involve the United States directly in the Middle East for a long period of time, or maybe even involving us in a situation similar to Vietnam. And here's Larry Speaks' response. The president's decision to send the Marines back to Lebanon was based on the uh, request from the government of Lebanon but it's also based on the, our ability to see that Lebanon can restore, restore a strong central government and sovereignty over their own country. We think once that is done, then we can allow our Marines to withdraw. But we think that the, that the benefits of our uh, U.S. personnel being there uh, far outweigh the risk. The bombing occurred the next year, on October 23, 1983. Four days later, October 27, 1983, President Reagan addressed the nation. This past Sunday, at 22 minutes after 6, Beirut time, with dawn just breaking, a truck, looking like a lot of other vehicles in the city, approached the airport on a busy main road. There was nothing in its appearance to suggest it was any different than the trucks or cars that were normally seen on and around the airport. But this one was different. At the wheel was a young man on a suicide mission. The truck carried some 2,000 pounds of explosives but there was no way our Marine Guards could know this. Their first warning that something was wrong came when the truck crashed through a series of barriers, including a chain-link fence and barbed wire entanglements. The guards opened fire, but it was too late. The truck smashed through the doors of the headquarters building in which our Marines were sleeping and instantly exploded. The four-story concrete building collapsed in a pile of rubble. More than 200 of the sleeping men were killed in that one hideous, insane attack. Many others suffered injury and are hospitalized here or in Europe. The next year, the bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut came up during the second presidential debate. From October 21, 1984, here's Democratic challenger Walter Mondale, followed by President Reagan. Groucho Marx said, who do you believe? 
me or your own eyes. And what we have in Lebanon is something that the American people have seen. The Joint Chiefs urged the President not to put our troops in that barracks because they were undefensible. They, urged, they went to him five days before they were killed and said, please take them out of there. The Secretary of State admitted that this morning. He did not do so. The report following the explosion of the barracks disclosed that we had not taken any of the steps that we should have taken. That was the second time. Then the embassy was blown up a few weeks ago, and once again, none of the steps that should have been taken were taken, and we were warned five days before that explosives were on their way, and they weren't taken. The terrorists have won each time. The president told the terrorists he was going to retaliate. He didn't. They called their bluff. And the bottom line is that the United States left in humiliation, and our enemies are stronger. Mr. President, your rebuttal? Yes. First of all, Mr. Mondale should know that the President of the United States did not order the Marines into that barracks. That was a command decision made by the commanders on the spot and based with what they thought was best for the men there. Uh, that is one. And the other things that you've just said about the terrorists, uh, I'm tempted to ask you what you would do. These are unidentified people, and after the bomb goes off, they're blown to bits because they are suicidal uh, individuals who think that they're going to go to paradise if they uh, perpetrate such an act and lose their life in doing it. We are going to, as I say, we're busy trying to find the centers where these operations stem from and retaliation will be taken. President Reagan was reelected, and in 1986, the U.S. military produced a training film called Terrorism. It began with this reflection on the bombing in Beirut three years earlier. The blast that tore through the battalion landing team headquarters had the force of a one-ton bomb. The crater will be closely examined by FBI forensics experts who arrived this morning. They'll search for some firm evidence of who was behind the disaster. The suicide bombing in Beirut that took so many U.S. Marine lives was without equal, making news headlines around the world. A vicious, premeditated attack of such magnitude that it changed forever the way this country and many other nations view the threat of terrorism and how to deal with it. But the Beirut massacre also focuses on the individual, on your vulnerability as a single member of the armed forces. It serves to introduce the concept of how personal a terrorist attack can really be. The personal aspect of the bombing was brought up by the next president. On August 20th, 1990, President George H.W. Bush addressed the veterans of foreign wars. Earlier that month, he launched Operation Desert Shield, responding to Iraq's aggression against Kuwait, marking the beginning of the Persian Gulf War. Seven years ago, Diana Kroptovich worried at home while her husband, Walter, steamed off the Lebanon coast on the USS New Jersey, defending the Marines. Today, their roles are, are reversed. Retired, Walter is at home with her six-year-old son, and Diana serves aboard the destroyer USS Yellowstone. Here. On April 24, 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Anti-Terrorism Act of 1996, the law's purpose to help law enforcement combat both international and domestic terrorism. We have seen terrorism take its horrible toll all around the world, from Tokyo to London to Jerusalem and of course in our own country. 
When a terrorist car bomb took the lives of 241 American Marines in Beirut, we felt the shockwaves here at home. When savage killers took the life of Leon Klinghoffer, countless Americans wept for him and for his family. When Pan Am 103 went down over Lockerbie, Scotland, killing 270 people, including 189 Americans, we saw again that there are no borders or bounds on the forces of hatred. President Clinton also noted a personal connection to Beirut terror through a member of his staff. I'd like to close with a word to all the family members of Americans slain by terrorists and to the survivors of terrorism, to the children who lost their parents in Pan Am 103 and the parents who lost their children in Israel, to all of you from Oklahoma City, to Andrew Kerr on my staff at the National Security Council, whose father was murdered in Beirut, to each and every one of you with us today and those who are watching all across this great land of ours. Your endurance and your courage is a lesson to us all. Your vigilance has sharpened our vigilance. A footnote, President Clinton mentioned Andrew Kerr on his NSC staff. His brother is Steve Kerr, who is head coach of the NBA's Golden State Warriors. Their father, Malcolm Kerr, was president of American University in Beirut. He was killed by Islamic Jihad on January 18, 1984, less than three months after the bombing of the Marine barracks. In the aftermath of 9-11, and in the midst of the war on terror and in Iraq, President George W. Bush referred to the 1983 Beirut bombing several times, like on April 13, 2004, during a primetime press conference. The violence we are seeing in Iraq is familiar. The terrorist who takes hostages or plants a roadside bomb near Baghdad is serving the same ideology of murder that kills innocent people on trains in Madrid and murders children on buses in Jerusalem and blows up a nightclub in Bali and cuts the throat of a young reporter for being a Jew. We've seen the same ideology of murder in the killing of 241 Marines in Beirut, the first attack on the World Trade Center, in the destruction of two embassies in Africa, in the attack on the USS Cole, and in the merciless horror inflicted upon thousands of innocent men and women and children on September the 11th, 2001. Two years later, during a September 5, 2006 speech on terror, President Bush mentioned the 1983 Beirut bombing twice. Osama bin Laden has written that the defeat of American forces in Beirut in 1983 is proof America does not have the stomach to stay in the fight. Hezbollah, the source of the current instability in Lebanon, has killed more Americans than any terrorist organization except Al-Qaeda. Unlike Al-Qaeda, they've not yet attacked the American homeland. Yet they're directly responsible for the murder of hundreds of Americans abroad. It was Hezbollah that was behind the 1983 bombing of the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut that killed 241 Americans. On May 23, 2013, 30 years after the Beirut bombing, President Obama mentioned it during a speech on counterterrorism. In the 1980s, we lost Americans to terrorism at our embassy in Beirut. 
at our Marine barracks in Lebanon, on a cruise ship at sea, at a disco in Berlin, and on a Pan Am flight, Flight 103, over Lockerbie. In the 1990s, we lost Americans to terrorism at the World Trade Center, at our military facilities in Saudi Arabia, and at our embassy in Kenya. These attacks were all brutal. They were all deadly. And we learned that, left unchecked, these threats can grow. But if dealt with smartly and proportionally, these threats need not rise to the level that we saw on the eve of 9-11. And on October 25, 2018, President Donald Trump held an event at the White House to specifically mark the 35th anniversary of the Beirut attacks. In 1983, roughly 1,800 Marines were in Beirut to keep the peace in a nation torn apart by civil war. Terrorists had bombed the U.S. Embassy earlier that year, killing 63 people, including 17 Americans. For the 300 Marines stationed at the Beirut airport, the morning of October 23rd arrived like any other. The Marines on guard stood there and at their posts. Others slept peacefully in their bunks until suddenly and without warning, a truck driven by a terrorist crashed through the fences and barricades and into the lobby of the Marine barracks. At 6.22 a.m., the terrorists detonated the equivalent of 1,200 pounds, commonly known as 12,000 pounds. That's a lot, and it's terrible, of explosives, killing three American soldiers, 18 American sailors, and 220 United States Marines. That was a horrible moment. Minutes later, another truck bomb took the lives of 58 French paratroopers. It was the single deadliest day for the Marines since Iwo Jima. When he was vice president, Joe Biden spoke at the Pentagon on September 11th, 2011, marking the 10 years since the 9-11 terror attacks. An American instinct summoned by the collective strength of the American people that we see come to the fore in our darkest hours. An instinct that echoes through the ages, from Pearl Harbor to Beirut, from Mogadishu to Ground Zero, to Flight 93 to right here in the Pentagon. Finally, we played a clip earlier from a 1986 military training film on terrorism that pointed out how personal a terror attack can be, focusing on the individual. Here are two personal stories told on the floor of the U.S. House from contemporary times. First, from October 23, 2019, marking the 36th anniversary since the Beirut bombing, here's the brother of then-Vice President Mike Pence, Indiana Republican Congressman Greg Pence. I served as a first lieutenant in the 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines. In 1983, my battalion was ordered to Beirut, Lebanon, in support of the 1st Battalion, 8th Marine Regiment, and the 24th Marine Amphibious Unit. I vividly remember the evenings we sat on the roof of the Marine barracks with the American flag flying over our head. The barrage of small arms, gunfire, and mortar rounds made it very clear that we were in harm's way every day. On this very day, 36 years ago, a terrorist affiliated with Hezbollah and financed by Iran 
drove a truck bomb into the barracks we called home. 241 American servicemen were killed, 220 of which were my fellow Marines. 241 sons, brothers, fathers, and friends never returned home. 241 came in peace, and 241 lives were stolen from us by an act of absolute pure evil. It was the deadliest day for the Marine Corps since the Battle of Iwo Jima. It is by the grace of God that I was able to come home to my wife, Denise, who was expecting our first child. My battalion had shipped out 10 days before the bombing. And the next year, on October 23, 2020, marking the 37th anniversary of the bombing, here's the prayer opening the house session that day, offered by guest chaplain Rabbi Arnold Reznikoff. 37 years ago today, I was in Beirut when a terrorist truck bomb attack took the lives of 241 U.S. military personnel. 58 French troops died a heartbeat later, a second truck, another deadly blast. They came in peace. They risked their lives to buy some time for change. Peace did not prevail, but their risk, their sacrifice, must be honored and remembered. Their story must be told. Today, as we recall and honor Beirut dead and Beirut vets in a special way, we mourn all those we've lost to war, to hatred, and disease as well. That's it for this episode of C-SPAN's The Weekly. Want to learn more about what politicians said about the 1983 Beirut bombing? and other terror attacks on Americans? Use the C-SPAN video library. Just go to cspan.org and use a search bar on top. Thanks for listening, and happy searching.